0: Netflix has teamed up with Microsoft to offer the company's upcoming ad-supported streaming tier according to a press release issued last week. When it launches its cheaper alternative, Microsoft will become Netflix's worldwide advertising technology and sales partner. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyoncé Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we recognize that ad placement on Netflix is a game-changer. Welcome to In Camera Podcast, private legal marketing conversations. Grace, welcome back. How are you today? Good. How are you, Leo? I'm doing great, Grace. I'm actually uh, quite excited here on the new interface that Squadcast is using for our platform to record podcasts. So for those of you who know or don't know, Squadcast is a platform that allows you to very easily record podcasts with great audio quality, as opposed to if you do it through Zoom, for instance, where your audio quality is going to be lagging a little bit, particularly if you're recording remotely, right? Which is the the kind of case when you would use a Zoom uh, meeting to, co- to record. But Squadcast is actually a very, very efficient way of getting to record podcasts with guests that are not necessarily with you. In our case, this is the way that we've recorded our show ever. And it actually just got upgraded, I think for the first time with a major overhaul and they've added a bunch of new features. But I guess what's really remarkable is how they've improved the user experience here. And actually, When they first launched, Grace, I don't know if you remember, but we were having a few minor issues, some invites were not getting through and such, but it looks like they pretty much now ironed it all up and it's working just well.
1: No, I agree. I mean, I remember previous to this, when we were trying to share things on the screen, it kind of looked a little funny compared to where we see each other. And it does seem a lot more Zoom-like, right, in the layout. So it's, it's more friendly, for sure.
0: You're right, that one is a big one, because right now, for instance, we're doing a screen share and we are just under the actual screen, whereas before we were to the side and it would crop us in a very weird way, where now it keeps us full frame rate. Um, It just makes so much sense and it's just a much better experience. So, uh, with that being said, today we're going to have a conversation that's a little bit about everything. And that's why i felt very comfortable coming in talking to you about software to record a podcast because we're just going to go through some news and updates that have been around the digital marketing space particularly and just share some thoughts and comments and hopefully inspire you with some ideas of things that you can do explore or consider and one of them would be hey you know podcast been around for a while they actually work. We've heard already about several law firms that are using them as a way to creating content on a weekly or a monthly basis for their communities, that it could be of relevance, that it could be importance of them. And then they can also be all used for as a B2B strategy, right, Great, Which is, I think, probably a graced, um way of getting referrals.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, when it comes to podcasts in particular for us, right, because we're kind of unique in that we do... A couple of things. And mm-hmm. I know you service a few different, you know, while it's law firms, it could be different areas of that law firm, right. So for both of us, I mean, I found that the podcast besides being able to provide content on a weekly basis, in our case, um, it's really been great for referrals. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, people see you as a thought leader, they understand that you know what you're talking about, and that you're able to provide them with a service, right? So B2B yeah. has been phenomenal for us when it comes to the podcast, yeah. definitely.
0: So so here's the thing, here's the way I see it. Let's suppose you have a podcast that is about trials, right? And how to prepare for them and whatnot. And so you are a lawyer and you're hosting it. And so you're gonna want to have other guests come and talk and, and discuss their habits, their practices, and you know, how they do their experience. And so this is a wonderful way of initiating a connection without necessarily trying to be too transactional from the, from, from the get-go. It allows you to establish a relationship that could then potentially lead to a partnership, right? And so it has been a great tool and a great resource for many that they've used podcasting as a way of networking, because at the end of the day, that's what you do when you are meeting with someone for 30, 45 minutes uninterrupted, with your full attention, to have a very honest uh, conversation about their experience, about you know what they do, what they do, and what matters to them and such. It doesn't get much better than that. So yeah, think about it from that standpoint.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a term, you know, when it talks about, when we talk about marketing in general, but when I specify about social media you know and i I do consider podcasts very social right because the idea is to be engaging and people to kind of come and see who you are and really self-disclosure is Mm -hmm. what it's called and i feel like i actually read something today that was talking about that and it was discussing how the only way to engage with an audience on social media or really anywhere when you're trying to provide content to people is through self-disclosure because your story is what people are quote-unquote buying into, right? I mean, it has to do with you, who, who what you believe in, what your thoughts are on yeah. whatever particular topic, and that's what makes somebody interested or not interested in what you have to say or do or what you can provide to them in terms of services or otherwise. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to this and podcasts in general, I mean, yeah. the idea of learning about a person through their actual words and how they think about things – to me, is is just there's no other way of doing that, you know, to yeah. really hear the person's story.
0: Yeah, and and it's a win-win, right? We have an episode here when where we actually talked specifically podcast as a means of marketing strategy and to grow your practice. But at the end of at the end of the day, it's it's a win-win situation because you're also giving platform to someone that can benefit and benefit uh, benefit and leverage the opportunity of sharing, as you say their thoughts, their insights, and increase their positioning as thought leader. So, yeah, that was just a little bit on podcasts. And so, Grace, just so for full disclosure here, what are we doing here? Well, we're right now on Search Engine Land. We're on Search Engine Journal. Simultaneously, both tabs open at the same time. It's Friday, July 15th, and we're going to go through the latest developments that have been hitting the online world. And so here's one, Grace. Google confirmed indexing issues affecting a large number of sites. No surprise here. And here's what I have to say about it, right? While many law firms are tracking their traffic meticulously every single day, they know exactly how many visitors are in, how many different visitors they had the previous day, and they can and they can tell a drop on a heartbeat. Uh, The the reality is that most law firms, they visit or analyze their traffic levels maybe once or twice a month. And here is the one thing that you need not to forget. It does not exist a pattern where your traffic only goes up. That is not possible. You are not meant to always have traffic that is going to be upwards and will not suffer drops every once in a while. And so particularly for those who are running SEO strategies and may get a little bit sometimes stressed because all from the sudden they are detecting a drop in traffic, especially after, after they've been on a, on a climb and they've been trending upwards for a while, that's hundred percent normal and it's expected. And as a matter of fact, you should feel, up to a certain extent, lucky that you were able to ride away for so long because it's just the way the algorithm works. It's just the way Google works. You cannot always be just accumulating more and more and more traffic, right? So just don't forget the nature of the way uh, things work when it comes down to search engines and particularly Google in the algorithm. Even though this is more about indexing issues, it's as a result, is a a decrease in traffic.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about this ad nauseum on a bunch of other podcasts that we have on here. But yeah, I mean, nothing is ever constantly going up, right? I mean, look at the economy. Look at literally everything that we do on a daily (laughs) basis. I mean, nothing will ever go just up, right? And things go up and down. So just keep that in mind, you know, keep an eye on things, but always keep an eye on things in terms of, the general and overall plan that you have in place and don't expect that no matter what, that you're always going to have an uptick. And just because you believe that your content was the best content possible for that moment that you posted at that second. I mean, it, it could be, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe it'll go viral, but just know that that doesn't always happen. And particularly when you're expecting it and you think that you followed some formula that doesn't necessarily exist, You know, algorithms are algorithms. They don't let you game the system. And even if you think you figured something out for the moment, I can guarantee you it's not going to last very long if it's having to do with gaming anything.
0: I couldn't agree with with you more, Grace. So that's with regards to the Google algorithm and indexing issues that are happening now. So for those of you who have indeed published some new pages and are like wondering, why we're not getting traffic to them maybe this could be one of the reasons again i think you need to be experiencing substantial amounts of traffic on a daily basis for you to be able to notice something like that but then again now grace this one is really really interesting and while it may or may not necessarily be of relevance to law firms hey it's good to know what's happening on meta you always need to know what's happening on meta so instagram is now testing out a new subscription feature for creators. So what does this mean? Well, it means that if you are an influencer, as you know, the term goes, you can now charge a fee for a selection catalog of content that you've created, right? And so you see here that those could be kind of like a, a, a way to communicate, like a chat, Feature that allows you to have one-on-one communications with your followers, and that's paid. Then you have uh, exclusive posts or reels that can only be accessed by the paid subscribers. And there can also be a subscriber-only tab so that subscribers can have an exclusive access, uh, access point to content. So quite meaningful here, Grace, and I think, you know, this really starts a new way in which Facebook, our meta, is uh, trying to monetize here on content. But at the same time, it's kind of like turning around a little bit the table as to how the whole influencer economy was working, which was primarily powered by brands who were paying to influencers to promote their products, whereas here, is an audience-supported economy. And the question is, will users feel compelled to pay their favorite creators online for their content? That's one question. Because this has happened before, right? I mean, this is not the first platform where you can actually do this. There is a few cases. Let's let's look into some of them. So there's Patreon, which is for podcasts. Right, You have podcasts that are free and accessible for everyone, but then you also have Patreon, which is a platform, a subscription-based platform that allows your audience to access exclusive content that is only available to those who are paying to have access to that content. So there it has worked and it has worked very, very well. And the way that it usually goes is like, you have a free selection of your content, made available to the general audience and then like with that you tease them a little bit and for those who are very much into what you're doing they're they're gonna want to hear more and go to follow you on the Patreon and pay you know anywhere between three, four, five, six dollars a month to be a subscriber to that which if you think about it, right, this is important to give context to this what's a subscription to Netflix nowadays? It's about 13, 14, 15 dollars, something around those lines, right now, just think about the billions of dollars of content that Facebook, that Netflix is giving you access to, and every week there is more. Now, would you expect for someone to pay five, six, seven dollars just to see a few extra posts from you every week? You would jump to say, wait, why would you? Because it's, you know, it's, it's cost benefit analysis doesn't quite pan out, but it's just, it's so relevant. For the user and they like it so much and it speaks to them in such a personal way that it may have more value to them than not let's just stop there for a second grace because i can see you shaking your head and i i see that a lot of this makes sense to you yeah because
1: honestly i'm all about um truthfully i'm all about paying for content especially if it's worthwhile um because it it creates a different idea of what that content is supposed to be doing, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if if you're a creator, this is what you do. You create content. So creating content and putting it behind what's called a paywall makes just natural sense to me when it comes to providing exclusive and valuable content which is the idea behind what they're doing here, right? And just like you said, Mm -hmm. the podcast, that they're paying for additional content that is exclusive to them, to that audience. And it always comes with a free trial, or like you said, free information at the outset, and then you go into the, or potentially Mm -hmm. behind the paywall. So for me, this is so natural in terms of creating things like instead of an LMS, right? You have those learning management systems where people go in and they subscribe to the modules. and this to me looks the same way right and i think about it the same way where if you're creating content that has tons of value and you've spent all these hours creating that content i mean it could be anything from like a a, an actual tutorial on Mm -hmm. how to do your makeup you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and obviously not for our purposes but i'm thinking things like pilma you know he's got all these all this content that he has behind the paywall for mastermind members right this is a natural progression to that
0: yeah yeah. And you're actually applied it there very well, right? For the use case of uh, Instagram. So Instagram being primarily kind of like an entertainment sort of platform. So what kind of content there will people would want to go and pay for? It's probably maybe educational, maybe not. I mean, it could be what you're just saying now, tutorials on on makeup or on on uh, uh, styling or whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm just, you know, Following here the stereotype of Instagram being a very fashion or aesthetics-based sort of platform, so I actually think this is very, very interesting. I do think this is potentially something that is here to stay. I don't see it lingering at a state at a test level for very long before it gets fully deployed and become kind of like part of the platform itself. And it will be, it will be very interesting to see how does this, for instance, changes other uh, social media platforms, mainly TikTok, uh, in the way that they also continue distributing content. Because one of the things that has really made these platforms stand out is that they are 100% free to the users, there is nothing blocking access to the user, it's all advertiser-supported platforms. And so by changing here the game, it could actually be a positive change not just for the brands right sorry for facebook or meta but for the actual users because if they can actually speak out their voice as to who they want to see what they want to see and what they want on their feed and i think what's going to be really interesting to see here is will will facebook throw in ads inside this exclusive content Because you may be seeing paid only reels, but are you actually also gonna see paid reels and then in between those reels and not from a personal injury lawyer? So that's gonna be an interesting thing. And uh, probably what could be the beginning of a new transition of social media platforms, putting uh, quality moderation and hearing the interest of the consumer, their users, Ahead of those of their advertisers. And so I think it's a little bit of a long shot here what we're what we're saying and claiming here, mm-hmm. but maybe a trend that's gonna emerge as a potential result from this. So that's Instagram Grace. Let's go back here and see what other stuff we can look at. Oh here, so Google launches Ad Creative Studio to customize videos on display ads. Remember we talked a little bit about this when we did the Google Marketing Live episode? Yes, so, I do. Recall. Yeah, so basically and I like I really like this because what it does is it allows you to Customize your display video creatives depending on the audience that you are reaching. So you have a same campaign that's triggered that's um, targeting different audiences, and depending which audience is being served your ad, your creative, then they would see a slightly different video that is more personalized to what they do. And they use here the case of Pepsi who used this solution so that they can present different creatives for different audiences that were researching on different scenarios. For instance, barbecue against family gatherings, against parties, and each one of them were being presented with a slightly different creative. And I think that's amazing. I think it's really, really, really cool. Now, let's look at it now from the standpoint of the legal industry. Is this really helpful? you need to remember a couple of things here. How big is the audience that you're targeting? Because it never works if you're gonna be over targeting your audience, and then on top of that, trying to further segment it. So this is good for when you're really having a massive audience. When you are, for instance, already running a display campaign that is targeting people who have been to Emergency rooms, people who have searched for towing services, people who have searched for uh, body or auto repair shops. And on top of that, you wanna further segment their ads depending on different uh, keywords or such. You're probably gonna end up not being very efficient in the way that your campaign is running. But if you're general, if you're running a more general, like s- statewide, a uh, campaign targeting a bigger audience and such, you may potentially here can leverage um, by geographical location or such s- additional segmentations here that could further customize your creative. So I would just leave it there, right? Just don't try to use this for something that is already way, way, way too specific and you've already drilled down on it too much.
1: Yeah, no way. You don't want <laughs> to get too granular. And it's funny that you're saying it that way because I don't know how many times I've told people where when you start filtering stuff down, right? And it doesn't really matter what you're filtering down. In this case, it's the ad creative, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When you start filtering stuff down, don't make it too filtered because then you lose the generality of what you're trying to achieve.
0: Exactly. You stop seeing the big picture and you're, so, you're you're just seeing the snapshot of something that would have been very, very specific and circumstantial. And you're just wasting too much time focusing on one thing that necessarily not mean what you think it means. So I totally agree with what you say. And, um, you know, it's actually a fact that platforms, particularly Facebook, um, it's not going to allow you to run with very, very, very granular campaigns because they are too narrow. It doesn't, it just doesn't leave enough room to the campaign to work. So I think that's important to remember, right? Um, you need reach at the end of the day and your campaigns, particularly when thinking of the display network, when you're thinking of YouTube, when you're thinking of um, uh, uh, meta, you want to make sure that you are also thinking about just reaching enough eyeballs, having enough Uh, opportunity to be seen by uh, your market. Grace, there is one more here that is not necessarily news, but it's just kind of like an article that was published on how to use Google Data Studio. And I love Google Data Studio, Grace. And I wanted to know what are your feelings about Google Data Studio, because we never talked about (laughs) Google Data Studio in here, believe it or not. So tell me a little bit, what are your thoughts? Do you use it? And if yes, how?
1: Yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought it up because (laughs) I I try not to get too nerdy, you know, when it comes to this stuff. Uh, And I know it can be extremely, extremely analytical and specific and technical and yada, yada, yada. But I love Google Data Studio. If you know where what you're trying to achieve, in other words, what we always talk about here, create a goal, a business plan, and then how are you going to get there by using metrics and right KPIs, all that stuff. That is what Google Data Studio is in a nutshell. It is a way mm-hmm. to see all of the different things that you are running and the different attribution channels. I mean, really everything can be put oh. into Google Data Studio. And if you don't know how to put it in there, there is, there are tons of things out there that allow you to connect to Google exactly. Data Studio. We actually use something called Leadsbridge, which is mm-hmm. one of the easier ones, you know, and it lets you do up to X number of feeds. We are running out of feeds because we do so many campaigns, but that's easy enough to just keep increasing, right? So yeah. what, what I'm talking about, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone, <laughs> is that when you use Google Data Studio, it will show you just about everything you wanna know that's happening with your advertising online and offline if you're doing it right. So yeah. it, really, I just, I love the program. I think it's great. And the way we use it is for just about everything we do. Cause you know, we run multiple mass tour campaigns across the nation and we run, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many types of campaigns we run, whether it's in Facebook, GA, you know, Google, Google specifically Google ads or um, or other, right? I mean, it could be Bing, it could be LinkedIn, we run it across just about everything out there that makes sense to. And so we're able to see all of that in Google Data Studio.
0: Yeah. It's actually uh, great what you're saying there, Grace, about how it's a platform that I think about it kind of like as your standard Excel spreadsheet, right? Um, But it's way more interactive. And the beauty about Google Data Studio is that you can just plug in directly from the source Think about your Google Ads account. Think about your Google Analytics account. Think about your CRM. Think about your case management software. You can actually send data directly into Data Studio and get that data to talk to other numbers and metrics that you're populating there to create, um, you know, the so-called throne and see, all right, these many cases come through. This is the revenue. This is the ad spend. These are the number of leads. And it just gives you a big picture view of whatever you want, and it's hundred percent customizable. So in this era of you know law f- uh, KPI centered law firms and jumbotron uh, centered law firms, this is very very important uh, a very important component of actually giving access to your team and to yourself, to the numbers that matter to you. And we really love it, Grace. Uh, we've always taken an approach of using kind of like Data Studio um, powered, sort of reporting uh, platforms for our campaigns. Um, and now we're in the process of building our own custom ones, but it's a great way of not just showing numbers and results, but it's interactive, it's clickable. You can. Just as we were talking now a little bit as to how you can then look, oh, okay, but if I were to just want to see what's the performance being on one particular campaign or in one given city, or I want to change the date range and see how did we do last week against last week, you can all do it there. It's not static, it's not a PDF, it's not, it's, it's not a PowerPoint that is just kind of like a, a, an image. You can get it to show you information depending on what are you trying to define. And so it's very, very, very powerful. But with that being said, of course, you still need to work in getting it built to show and integrate the data that you care for. So it can be very overwhelming for someone who's never dealt with this before to create a dashboard. But once you have it, it's great. And here's the beauty. How many times have you been or you are in an Excel spreadsheet and you say, oh, I wish I would be able to see that, that, and that also here. And you're like, hmm, how, how are we going to do it? And, and and you don't know how you can increase or add or remove data that you care or you do not care for. Data Studio is a little bit more versatile for it. And I guess the biggest differentiator between an Excel and an Data Studio is that it's the user experience, right? I mean... Data Studio feels very sleek. It's very intuitive. I will say that some things there, some elements there, particularly we use quite a bit maps. And so when you're trying to kind of like look at the map and then choose a state and then zoom into the state, it becomes a little bit uh, clunky. But uh, the bottom line is that it's still a really, really, really better experience than for instance, working on spreadsheets. So I was just going to leave that there because it's a 100% good way of getting the information and the the data that matters and that guides your decision making in a consolidated way without having to necessarily depend on the capabilities of one single piece of software. Any final any final thoughts on Data Studio?
1: Yeah, just whatever you do always go with a plan in mind. You know, and if you haven't if you haven't started using Google data studio, I would suggest that you get with somebody that do does understand how it works and knows your business enough to know what you're trying to achieve and get it built out because it is, it, I can't tell you enough how important the data that comes out of that is for anybody that runs a business period in this day and age.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, it's a really nice way, for instance, if you're running an SEO strategy rather than having to pull reports from analytics and another report from a search console and another report from Ahrefs or Semrush or such, here's one place where you can look different tabs, different information. Um, without necessarily having to be uh, looking at at different reports. so It's a good way also of consolidating, streamlining things and have something interactive that it's constantly getting updated with new data. Because again, once it's connected, it's not necessarily just pulling information periodically. It it also does it live. So, um, Grace, I think we've had some really good things to talk about today. And maybe we can also even come up with a few takeaways. So, Do you feel like you have one or two that you're ready to share? So I think the first takeaway for
1: me is, you know, don't forget that trends are just that, they're trends. So even if you look at every single day, the trend of your content, whether it's going up, down, or whatever it might be doing, it's a trend, okay? So always make sure that whatever you're looking at in terms of your analytics and indexing content and content and people getting to your content or not, is part of an overall strategy and that you just are checking it for um, kind of pulse checks is what I would call them, right? You're just making sure that everything's still humming along the way you expect it to. You're running your split A-B tests on your content like you're supposed to and that you're accommodating and being agile enough to accommodate for additional bounce rates or anything that might be happening to your content at that time. But it will never go up only. Right. So again, just as a reminder, nobody's content, nobody's index in Google, nothing will ever just be an upward trend.
0: Grace, you know what? I'm going to use a uh, make a great uh, case point on to why sometimes, you know, you need to have someone to guide you through things like your SEO or your Google ads. You see right now here on our screen, we're seeing on the very top just something that got published like five minutes ago that says Google Ads Analytics issue affecting reporting stats. We've identified that this morning. Like our campaigns are showing up like they are having no impressions, that they are having no activity yet because of other metrics that we have in place, whether it's called tracking or whether it's tag manager data that we're pulling out through uh, the landing page activity, we know that the campaigns are actually running. Mm -hmm. So if you're not actually tracking these things and you just look at your Google Ads campaign and all from the sudden you are like seeing what's going on, I'm having no impressions, I'm having no clicks, uh, you may get very panicky, right? But that's why it's important also to, you know, sometimes have other data points to look out rather than just one single platform, because they can be faulty, even if it's Google Ads, right? It can still fail sometimes. And here is a good uh, good case point, and one that basically, to the point, is answering to what we've identified earlier this morning. So... um, I love what you said there about, about traffic and Google, Grace. Um, I, I will just go on and talk a little bit about, about Meta and the way that we should go about thinking of social media platforms, I think, moving forward. Um, the model, as we know it is been around for a while. It has actually worked. Now, the, the bottom line is going to be here, will users continue to respond to it? I'm inclined to believe that the current model still has juice in it and it can work. But I'm also inclined to believe that a social media platform that is uh, supported by actual users as opposed to advertisers is not out of the question. One platform that's been close to becoming that is Twitter, right? That's one of the things that Elon Musk was actually entertaining, was the idea of having some sort of membership in Twitter so that they are uh, no longer relying on advertisers as a source of income. And well, we all know how that story went, but it's not necessarily because the idea was flawed. It was for other reasons. So I think we certainly should keep our uh, mind open and are around this. And, and 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 this is just kind of like around whether users want or not advertisers and they wanna get rid of spammy content in their social media platforms. So that's one thing to keep in mind, but then we have other things like all the heat that TikTok is under fire, is, is under pressure here in the United States and it's not going away. So, I mean, I think it's a good reminder that while social media is very very powerful it doesn't mean that the model as it is and sits and as we know it is not it it cannot be uh disrupted at any given point so just kind of like keep that level of awareness and continue diversifying which somehow always ends up being a takeaway in this podcast (laughs) um we have room for one last one grace and it's i i'll give you the, the the honor because i know you're gonna love talking a little bit more about uh the power of data studio you know me so well (laughs) el after what two three years now
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so it has to be that one right google data studio if you have not if you don't know about it if you haven't touched it if you've never even heard of google data studio please, please, please. It is such a powerful resource. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to get into it because it can and does allow you to aggregate from multiple sources, all of the ads, all of the work that you're doing, analytics. I mean, all the numbers that you are constantly searching for and and have people going into 10 different uh, software platforms and websites for, if you set it up in Google Data Studio, you will have a live reporting view of all the campaigns and the things that are running that are connected to the Google Data Studio. And as Liel has said and emphasized probably three four times, and I know exactly why he did that, it's because live, live is not something that you normally get, okay? And that is because it's very difficult to have a direct data stream between a piece of software, and everything going on in all of these other pieces of software. But Google has been around long enough. Google knows what it's doing, and it has these APIs, advanced programmers interfaces, with all of these people. Leverage it. Use it for your own use. You can find out your cost per case, your cost per lead. I mean, all of those things that make or break a business, particularly a law firm, All that information is at your fingertips live at the moment and whatever it is that you're looking for you can get in google data studio that's it
0: that's right grace (laughs) absolutely and i just i know i'm i'm gonna be here that the, the that annoying person that after we've stopped talking about something i'm gonna go back to it is at the headline of netflix microsoft partner for ad supported subscription plan so netflix is now gonna start showing ads for a lower tier subscription model that is gonna be partly ad-supported, kind of like Hulu doing. And they're using platform, uh, they're using Microsoft as a platform for advertising. So obviously, this opens a major window for law firms. This is massive, right? Because if you can get into Netflix now and advertise as well, um, that's gonna be a great place to be, right? Great, great place to be. But what I'm actually talking about here is about how kind of like the tables are turning. The platforms that were leveraging a subscription-based model and they were not allowing platform uh, advertisers through their gates, they're now shifting to a new model where they are allowing advertisers into their platform in order to try to lower costs for the users. Why? Because users are not necessarily willing to continue paying, and that's the reason why netflix been under heat so badly over these past few months and they've lost tremendous amounts of uh, value so you see how interesting it is grace right that the content that used to be free now from the southern it it can be monetized for and the content that people used to pay for they're saying why am i paying you so much money when i'm getting so much content for free from TikTok or from instagram and so this is a transition. This is a transition. And I think it's very interesting. And I think we should keep our eyes open to it and and not forget. I mean, we'll, we'll, I, I'll leave it here. This is this is going to be our final thought for this episode. Will Netflix be the next Facebook to advertise? It's a question. <laughs> All right, Grace. Thank you so much for another great conversation. It was really, really great talking to you. And we'll be back next week. Next week it is, Leo Thank you. All right. Bye. if you like our show make sure you subscribe tell your co-workers leave us a review and send us your questions at ask at podcast.com. we'll see you next week